0: hey there it's scary parish it's monday june 29 2020 welcome back to the cbs sports eye on college basketball podcast where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black matt norlander is here with me and big breaking news earlier this afternoon imani bates the number one prospect in the class of 2022 arguably the best high school prospect regardless of age not to mention the best high school prospect since lebron james he has committed to Michigan State University just a random story for a random Monday afternoon for those unfamiliar he's a 6'9 wing from Michigan often compared to our king and savior LeBron James but he actually plays more like Kevin Durant incredible shot creator incredible shot maker he is incredibly hyped but I'm not sure I'm being honest if he's overhyped each time I've seen him he's very much looked apart he is the reigning Gatorade national player of the year and now If he goes to college, he says he will play for Michigan State. Norlander, how big of a development is this for Tom Izzo's program?
1: Very significant development. I'll start with that right away. I don't know if Imani Bates will or will not play at Michigan State. I spoke on CBS Sports HQ on Monday just as you did. I was asked to kind of assign a percentage or a likelihood. I'm going to say right now June 29, 2020, which is approximately what? 29 months before he would theoretically play his first game in a Michigan State uniform, um, I'm going to put it at 70 percent that he does play for the Michigan State Spartans. But it's big because obviously Michigan State has had a a seat at the table, a table of you know 10 to 12 programs, if you will, for the past two decades of being one of the most uh, significant, important, uh, mainstream, powerful programs in college basketball. But you land an Amani Bates type, and I think that. Further enhances your chances. Coincidentally enough, we actually did ten days ago. We have this new feature at cbsports.com which you, ch- you which you should check out on Fridays, in which we take one topic, we each give an answer, and give our reasons why. And the first topic we ever did was what school is most likely to usurp next Kentucky and Duke to be the number one team in the recruiting ranking. It's only happened once in the past 13 years, and it would be those Memphis Tigers, of course, with the Wiseman class. But when might it happen again? My answer was Michigan State specifically because of the potential for Imani Bates to commit. I did not think it would be happening this soon, but I do think it's big. I think it can help Michigan State's recruiting prowess all the more And the next two, three, or four years gives Tom Izzo and that staff uh, which is among the most lo- the longest tenured staff in in major college basketball. A lot of people don't realize it, but uh, that group has been with Izzo for years and years and years and years. Um, I think that only helps them going forward. And if you wound up seeing Michigan State in the top five in recruiting for the next year the year after that and then even the year after Bates either stays or doesn't stay with Michigan State it wouldn't surprise me so there's a lot to get to but just to directly answer your question GP I do think him committing uh and given how much he's followed by recruits uh there's a lot of juice there one more anecdote that just comes to mind like I specifically remember at Peach Jam last year eating at a Waffle House uh you know dipping in for a a breakfast or whatever, and. As is nature at Peach Jam, there's, there's so many Waffle Houses. There are so many teams that play. They, it's an easy, quick meal. Plus, it's Waffle House. Why aren't you going to eat there? So there's, there's always basketball teams that populate these things. And when I'm sitting there by myself eating, what do I see? I see 15-year-olds, 14-year-olds, 16-year-olds looking up Amani Bates highlights on their phones, checking his Instagram. You know, he is a. He, He's not truly one of their peers, but he basically is. And he has that much influence already over kids in his age group. That's why I think all the more so it can really benefit Michigan State in the near term.
0: There's no question. I think sometimes people remove from the sport um, lack an understanding of how big these elite high school prospects are to other high school prospects, specifically younger high school prospects. In fact, I remember talking to Sonny Vaccaro about this once, obviously the godfather of grassroots basketball, and he said everybody thinks when we put um, LeBron James in our shoes when he's a high school player or Kevin Durant or John Wall or anybody that we are grooming them to join us someday. The, the idea being if we create this relationship now, then we'll have that Later and ultimately, this will be a a Nike guy or an Adidas guy or an Under Armour guy or whatever. He said sometimes that does happen, but the truth is, at the end of the day, most players, when it's time to write a check, they're going to take the biggest check. Most play like it doesn't matter if a Nike guy's been a Nike guy forever. If when he becomes a professional, Adidas puts the bigger check on the table, that guy will usually take the Adidas check. You know, once upon a time it could have been Reebok, uh, more recently Under Armour. So Sonny's point was. Um, the idea that we do this to try to create some long-term relationship, eh, that doesn't really matter that much. You know, Kevin Durant, I think, is an example to the contrary. I believe KD did take less money to just be a quote-unquote Nike person. But for the most part, Sonny's point was, when it gets time to make them a Nike guy or an Adidas guy or an Under Armour guy for 10 years or five years or whatever the length of time is, whoever's offering the most money is going to get the guy, usually. Sonny's point was, the reason you put... 16-year-old LeBron James in Nikes is it so you can get 19-year-old LeBron James to sign with you. It's so you can get every 16-year-old in Akron, Ohio, to buy shoes. Um, Every 16-year-old who who plays basketball to look at who's the best guy. What's that guy? What's he wearing? And Imani Bates is that player for this time. Even though he is only a rising junior, very, very young, I believe just 16 years old, He's the biggest star in high school basketball, I think, by a significant margin. And from Michigan State, to circle it back to your point, to get a commitment from that guy so early in the process, relatively speaking, you've got to think it only helps them recruit going forward for the next couple of years, regardless of whether Imani Bates ever actually enrolls at Michigan State or not.
1: Um. Quick question for you. Just give me a percentage off the top of your head. I said 70% on HQ that he plays at Michigan State. Percentage for you that he wears a Michigan State uniform and plays for the Spartans. What would you put it at right now, more than two years out from when he would actually step onto a court there? Uh,
0: yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm with you. I think it's more likely than not to happen. I don't, I don't know if it's 65, 75. I don't think I'd go much higher than that.
1: We'll mark you for 69%. It's fine.
0: I'll take 69%. Nice. Um, the reason being, I, honestly, I would put it at if not for name image and likeness the idea that name image and likeness could be in place should be in place Uh, By the time he gets ready to enroll in college suggests that he will be able to make real money. I mean millions of dollars I, I don't think it's I don't think that's an over an exaggeration by playing college basketball um, if he is allowed to benefit from his name, image, and likeness rights. And so if not for that, if you told me Imani Bates was coming to school this year, yes or no, I'd say no. Um, G League program would probably be um, a, a more likely scenario or something where he can cash in as quickly as possible. But given that he might be able, for lack of a better word, to cash in while at Michigan State, that's that's going to give Michigan State a better opportunity to enroll him than it otherwise would have. And I think it's interesting. If you go back just to Peach Gym last year, you and I were both there, Amani Bates would be in the gym. Almost no coaches there. They weren't recruiting him at all. Tom was there. Right. But most coaches had assumed that, because you got to remember, this is a time when Woj and everybody else are reporting that the one-and-done rule is going away in time for Amani Bates to enter the draft directly out of high school. Now it appears that's unlikely, which means his options... At least on a surface level, at this point, appear to be G League program overseas or college basketball. And if the college basketball option comes with the ability to benefit off your name, image, and likeness rights, I could easily see him spending a year in East Lansing.
1: So much to this story. First of all, the fact that we're even talking about this now is a genuine stunner. Um, you know, the only people that were really aware of this would would have been the Bates family. Uh, a few at ESPN that were on it. A credit to Jeff Borzello, our buddy, who got with the Bates family in advance of his announcement on Monday, so he was he was hip to it. But <laughs> like, there started they started to get some like a little bit of noise about this like Monday morning, and then um, Michigan State was not expecting him to commit. I mean, that is a fact. So uh, the anticipation from the Michigan State of, side of this was that um, there would be news about. Uh, Elgin, his father, Amani's father, starting uh, a prep school and starting a prep program, which is also happening and, again, can have real impact on Michigan State's recruiting, given where that's located in Ypsilanti, uh, relatively close to, to East Lansing. So that was happening. But Michigan State, uh, and, and what's got to be k- kind of one of the all-time, like, I, you know, wonderful Mondays you could expect from a, from a college coaching perspective. They were the only major program consistently recruiting him, so if and when he was ever going to commit, that was the expected landing spot. But the timing on this, GP, and I'm going I'm to send this out to all the listeners as well. I haven't had time to look this up. I don't even know if you could – I mean, I guess you could probably figure it out. It would just take way too much research. I want to know the last time the number one rated player in a high school class in men's basketball ever committed this far out. I don't think it's ever happened. We are more than two years removed from when he would even... Basically two years removed from when he would step on for summer classes, right? From him even arriving at the school and almost two and a half years removed from when he'd play his first game. Tell me the last time a number one rated player in a class committed this far out or even close to this far out. Maybe you'd get someone as a junior committing way back when, you know, September, October, November, December of their junior year. Maybe that's happened a few times, but normally that's not how this goes. You're the number 1 rated player in your class, you get a bevy of suitors, and so because of that you have a lot of great options. You want to hear all the pitches, you want to go on all the visits, you want to you know, see what's out there and you want to really bask in that process. A lot of players do, and why wouldn't you? Bates is the exact opposite. You're you're absolutely right. Last year, um, when he played games, the number of high-profile schools that were represented at those games was low. I did a story on Imani Bates. We talked about it on this podcast. I was embedded with him, as his team, and his father. And give them credit, because they insisted that college was always going to be an option. Again, we got to get there. Maybe he'll reclassify to 2021. We don't know about that either. There's so many different angles to the story, but they always maintained that college was a viable option. And Amani even admitted to me that it was bothersome to him just in that he knew that he was developing into a really, really good prospect, but that was not being reflected in how he was being recruited. He, you know, understandably wanted to have Kentucky and Kansas and Duke and North Carolina and Michigan State and Michigan, you know, those kind of programs all recruiting him. That's not what was happening. And because it didn't happen, Michigan State winds up being um, the, the benefactor to all this if indeed he winds up, uh, in, if he winds up playing there. It's, it's, it, it's a really good thing for college basketball because I will say this. I noticed this right before we started podcasting, uh, circling back to Borzello's uh, report. Here's what Imani Bates said about the G League. He says, it's good for certain players. That's a lot of money. I don't really plan on. I don't think I'll do it. It's good for some people, but I don't think I'll head that route. And Borzello, I'm reading directly from his tweet, said uh, Bates would rather play college basketball than go to the G-Leaks Pathway program, um, which is interesting. You pile this news on top of what we talked about a week ago. We've had two straight Mondays with some significant player-associated news blasts. We had Kate Cunningham choosing to play college basketball despite the postseason ban. Now you have Imani Bates... Uh, generally planning to do that, and if he doesn't, the G League, that's going to be another number one rated prospect who's going to say no to the G League GP. So I find that to be uh, rather notable, if nothing else, and obviously, as you said, NIL plays a significant part in that.
0: You mentioned the prep school. That was part of the announcement today. His father is starting a prep school that Imani will now attend and play for. What do you think of that?
1: Um... Don't know enough about it yet. Uh, starting a prep school, that's not – not How do you even thing. start a prep school? I don't know. <laughs> I mean I, – I, How do you even do that? Great question. Um, but, it, you know, if we're going to talk about Imani Bates potentially playing college basketball and all this and all that, um, like the family better have it all buttoned up and together there. Because the last thing you need if you're Michigan State, if you're the NCAA – is to have a generational talent. Amani Bates has spoken about, and I actually think this is unfair and too lofty. It just is at this point here. Um, he is spoken about in the same breath as LeBron James when he is referred to as the best high school talent since LeBron James, and if not the, the best, then certainly he's right there like in a small, small group. It's a hell of a lot of pressure on the kid. Um, but regardless, the point I'm making here is that if you're going to have someone that, that that is that good that chooses to go and play college basketball... The prep school situation better be sorted out because we there is no shortage of former five-star prospects, top 50 prospects who have gone to prep schools and had issues with eligibility, uh, playing right away a stalled start to their freshman season. Uh, famously, prime prep Deion Sanders' institution in Dallas, which has since shuttered its doors, long since shuttered its doors, uh, caused an issue for a number of players who wanted to play at top 20 type programs there. So uh, it is. Clearly I think a decision that is mixed with uh business in addition to Elgin wanting to continue to keep his son not in in, in an in an enclosed environment, but in speaking with him many times before, he is absolutely not going he's dead set on not allowing Amani to be to be to, to have this process take him to a different destination than he thinks that he should be on because there's so many people that you can come in contact with the, the family is just not about that whatsoever. So this is going to be his his way of trying to keep him on the straight and narrow and hopefully it's the right way. I don't know, but yeah, I to get back to your question, how you start a prep school GP, I, I have no idea. Yeah. Like yeah, I, I, that's a good you. that's a legitimate question.
0: Yeah, I'm with you on that. By the way, I mean I, I guess there is a way to start a prep school. He's not going to be the first guy to ever do it, but it's just like a it's a wacky thing you almost never hear about until like it's an elite basketball player like Scal Bissier's guardian once upon a time you know pulled him out of you know one of the best um, schools in um, you know in, in the Memphis area to, to 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 start a prep school team that he swore was going to be the first of a long line of something and then of course as soon as Scal was gone it was gone and sco at the time was considered by some to be the number one prospect in America I guess I I guess the point I'd make is this. I'm with you in the sense that I I don't know enough about it to know whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. I'm not going to sit here and talk from a position of ignorance. But I will say there's a a list of of can't-miss prospects that end up missing when the adults around them just start messing with things that don't need to be messed with. And I'm not suggesting uh, that that's the case here. It's just it, it, it reminded me of other examples, most notably, I think, Renardo Sidney, once upon a time, he's considered at a very young age, you know, freshman, sophomore year high school, to be the next great thing. He was a, just a, uh, a, a a kid growing up in public school, Mississippi. And then they got in with the shoe companies. And next thing you know, he's moved to L.A., like actually moved from Mississippi right. to L.A., and it just never went well. He got complacent. He got heavy. He still went on to play Division one basketball, but – the only thing I remember about his college basketball career is he got into a fight with one of his teammates in the stands, like in Hawaii or something. Do you remember that
1: Diamondhead Classic, man? Yep, I do remember that. <laughs> yeah, so like that's the only thing I remember about Renardo Sidney being in college.
0: And so again, I'm not suggesting uh, the, 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 the you know that that this is a bad thing. I don't know, and the family has you know whatever go happens going forward we'll see but the family has done whatever they've done to get him into this position where he's the number 1 high school prospect in America so somebody is doing something right and i guess i'd just say i hope they're doing this right too i hope they don't start moving and shaking too much in a way that uh stunts his development mm-hmm. or just creates unnecessary obstacles to um, you know for him doing what it is he wants to do and what he so clearly is talented enough to do you know I'd hate for you know when you got a prospect of this caliber there's going to be a lot of scrutiny on every move and so I guess I just double down on what you said I hope everything's buttoned up and they're doing things the quote-unquote right way not because I care one way or another but because he could I wouldn't want anything to happen that would put his eligibility in jeopardy if he genuinely wants to play college basketball someday.
1: It's important to uh, to note that if anyone's wondering if Bates would reclassify to twenty twenty one, which has been you know more and more of a common thing. We as we sit here recording this podcast, we wait on Jonathan Kaminga. Uh, t- frankly, to reclassify from 21 to 20, and in doing so, uh, potentially announce that he's going to skip college and play professionally. Like, we, we still wait on when that's going to happen, but we're almost to July here. If he's going to reclassify, it's not that, obviously, you know, a Texas Tech or anyone's going to make a spot for him, but, you know, this is dragging pretty late into the summer. Um, as, it re- as it relates to Bates, though, he was born in January of 2004, so under current rules... He is not eligible for the draft until the year 2023, so obviously he's a 2022 graduate projected to be. He'd play one year of the 22-23 college basketball season. If he did that, then he'd be eligible. If he reclassified uh, to 2021, uh, I do not believe that he would—if he reclassified to 2021, I, I still not. he's still not eligible, uh, I think, under current— the current literature in the CBA to even be drafted regardless until 2023, which would be, you know, a two and through situation. I just don't think that's going to happen. So just keep that in mind going forward with base. There's a lot of moving parts here. If you told me he reclassified to 21, played one year at Michigan state and then opted out and still had another year to do what he wanted to do professionally. I think that's certainly a possibility. There's a lot of options that he has here. Um, but it's a significant, significant de- development on Monday and one that uh, that kind of came out of the blue. It, I do think that him going there, if he does, will clinch Michigan State getting the number one ranked recruiting class for Amani's graduating class by pure nature. Is, he's going to attract other talent. Now, some talent won't want to go there because some guys are going to want to be the guy. I get all that. But I do think that Tom Izzo set himself up pretty nicely to uh, – to potentially, I mean, that might wind up being his next team with the best chance of winning a national title, but I don't want to put the card ahead of the horse too much there. What other thoughts, GPS? This came down. By the way, I hope you're enjoying your second week of your vacation. I mean, <laughs> this dude goes on vacation. Kate Cunningham uh, announces kind of like a bolt out of the blue a little bit. Uh, no, by the way, I'm staying at college, so we get that done. And then um, it hasn't been exactly totally quiet on the college front, but somewhat quiet. And then Monday out of nowhere, you get the Imani Bates stuff, which is as significant of a prospect-related decision as we're going to get in the next two years. So, uh, well timed by you, my friend.
0: Yeah, I uh, I get a, a text message from Randy Brickley, who works with CBS Sports, who um, coordinates for HQ, and he's like, "Hey, uh, can you come on to talk about Imani Bates?" And I'm like, "What? Like well, about what? Like like like?" And they like, "Well, there's some speculation that he might commit," and because I'm been totally unplugged today you know I, I was outside with the kids you know measuring for a new playground set and so I said yeah I, gu- I guess I can even though I'm on vacation so I was you know I had to go shave for the first time in like a week and uh, and uh, put a tie on and jump in front of a camera which is fine like I'm happy to do it I, I really wasn't doing uh, much else but yeah it is the second Monday in a row where something not insignificant happened in college basketball, and I get I get roped back in a little bit. But again, it's fine. It's not like I'm on a vacation at the beach or something like that. I'm really, for the most part, these two weeks just just hanging out around the house.
1: Yeah. Um, well, listen, I did want to just touch on one more thing real quick with Bates' situation, and you brought it up because I don't think it can be undersold. Um, name, image, and likeness legislation is coming to college athletics that will be happening and it will be voted on to what extent we don't know but that's coming in january of 2021 so bates's potential earning potential at at the college level to me is entirely fascinating here Um, i do believe that the ncaa and its working group have a lot of work still to do when you look at how effective player protests and rallying on behalf of players amid you know what has become our our second civil rights movement amid this Black Lives Matter movement that, that has rightfully taken the country by storm. Here, you see what Kylan Hill in your own home state sparked in the matter of three days, maybe, getting the the state of Mississippi to change the design of its flag that it's had for I don't even know how long. GP, I don't know if that's been a, a one hundred twenty six in, years. Insane. So the point I'm making here is that players more and more have had an awakening as to how much power they actually have. That, I do think, can have reverberations on name, image, and likeness legislation. And if the NCAA tries to sell short the amount of earning potential and, and liberties that players should be handed, um, it could make for a not a disastrous situation, or maybe a disaster situation. I hope that they are willing to go fairly far with this, because a player like Imani Bates, this exact player stepping into college at this exact point, could be no better selling point for college athletics and college basketball. Imani Bates is the guy. You want him in college basketball. You have to hope that there are grown-ups having real discussions that can see this coming down the track miles away, saying we have to have modern legislation to avoid any kind of mass protest players sitting out, absolute disaster, and have Imani Bates and guys like him want to come to college basketball so that they can have legitimate marketing and earning opportunities He seems to be arriving at really the perfect moment. It's not just that he's another really good number one rated prospect in the class. No, it's that he is the most touted prospect in high school, arguably since LeBron James, and he literally might start playing college basketball within a 12-month time period of having uh, name, image, and likeness legislation enacted. So keep an eye on that going forward because I do think it is among the most significant factors that will ultimately determine if he plays for Michigan State.
0: No question. Um, and like, listen, the young man is on the record saying he wants to play college basketball. We have seen too often for college basketball fans, at least in recent years, players who really don't have that much interest in playing college basketball, you know, whether it's uh, LaMelo ball and perhaps that was more of his father's doing, but either way, like just went a different route. RJ Hampton, uh, went a different route. Uh, James Wiseman, quit after 3 games. Here's a young man who is immensely talented, a real star of the sport already. You know, somebody who like LeBron James knows Imani Bates, Kevin Durant knows Imani Bates. He's a 16-year-old star who says he wants to play college basketball. So, like it's a good thing there is a significant change coming to the sport of college basketball to college athletics in general that will make it more reasonable for him to pursue that opportunity because some people will genuinely turn down hundreds of thousands of dollars from the G league program. Kay Cunningham, uh, reportedly just did it, but uh, it'd be nice if prospects didn't have to choose between real money and scholarship and cost of attendance stipend. And by the time Imani Bates enters college, he won't be, uh, you know, as far as we know right now, he will not be choosing between real money and, scholarship cost of attendance stipend he'll be choosing between real money from the g league real money from an overseas franchise or real money from whomever based on his name image and likeness rights which again could be worth and i don't think this is crazy or hyperbole could be worth millions of dollars
1: you are absolutely correct on that
0: Uh, let's move on to Um, a development that will come and go fairly quietly this week, I think, but it is still a a significant thing, especially one for UConn fans who have yearned for it for years. Now UConn is officially joining the big East on Wednesday. What's that mean for the Huskies? What's it mean for the future of the league? We're going to get into that next first. Check this out.
1: The all new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details.
0: Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky So UConn is officially joining the Big East on Wednesday. Norlander, you're going to be writing about it for Wednesday. It's Monday right now. Give us a preview. What points will that story make?
1: Okay. Um, Well, I caught up with Dan Hurley over the weekend uh, in advance of this. But, yes, Wednesday will be July 1st, and that's when UConn will officially uh, join the Big East. I I want to say rejoin, but um, the Sticklers will note that technically uh, the Big East and and a lot of its foundations actually – became the American Athletic Conference and then the, the Catholic Seven went and was able to essentially take the Big East name and, re- and form a new conference. And so whatever, UConn's going to link back up with the Big East brand and that is a significant thing for the university and something that I know Dan was hoping, if not banking on happening when he decided to take UConn over Pitt when he took that job a couple of years ago. So uh, he's obviously very excited. Uh, He did mention to me that UConn, it's been more than a year since this news broke. Um, I'll never forget that because I was actually covering the Travelers Golf Tournament for CBS. And I was working, (laughs) I was at the event. And there's a lot of Connecticut-based sports writers who obviously cover that as well. It's the only PGA Tour stop in the state. Uh, But they also cover Connecticut men's and women's college basketball. So it was like 14 of us in a golf tent on the phone and writing about UConn basketball. Just an all-time bizarre day. Um, but Hurley told me that, you know, in the in the weeks after that, there was a noticeable impact on UConn's recruiting ability just by the virtue of switching from one league to another. So, it you know, I am of the belief that the American Athletic Conference is still a viable and good conference. It is clearly not as good without UConn than it was, With UConn, it's also undeniable that UConn going back to the Big East makes a lot more sense. The Big East is a better conference that has been played out essentially every season since we had the massive realignments of seven years ago, though. Um, So it's just an opportunity to look at what the piece will look at what UConn did accomplish. Oh, by the way, its most recent national championship came when it was part of the American. And then how this sets up for the future uh, with the school, which finds itself. I mean, I live here in Connecticut, so it finds itself in an interesting time. The football program has a very small fan base. I mean, it, it just does not move the needle. It never has. UConn whiffed on football, and because of that, the athletic department has found itself in plenty of dire straits. The, the state budget, when it comes to all this stuff, is impacted in major ways, and now we have uh, UConn losing a significant sport. I mean, it's going to lose four sports uh men's cross country men's swimming and diving men 's tennis and women 's rowing are all getting cut from yukon um, so going forward, one of the things i'll just tease with this I, I asked Hurley to kind of speak to if he now has even more pressure uh, than ever before to you know to have men's yukon yukon men's basketball be great in order to uplift the university from a financial standpoint so we'll touch on that uh, touch on that as well but it is it is significant and UConn going back to the Big East does feel right I did want to ask you something GP though I Mm -hmm. I want to do a little game here a little projected out game so UConn going back to the Big East means that the league will go to 11 teams and because of this it will have a true round robin still and it'll go to a 20 game schedule which is going to be great but I wanted to do a little thought exercise here, and maybe someone four or five years down the road can uh, can keep us in line and keep us in check. We've got a very devoted <laughs> listenership who often uh, tracks and stuff for us, and we appreciate it. I wanted to take into consideration current coaches and how long we think we're, they're going to be with the programs, traditional recruiting ability, where they place in the conference now and where you think they will be going forward, and power rank all 11 schools in the Big East, one to eleven, and when we look five years from now, end of June 2025, how is the hierarchy of the Big East going to play out? And take into consideration NCAA tournament bursts, wins, win totals per year, where you land in the recruiting standings, just all of it into one basket.
0: Okay, so, right, right, like that's a lot of stuff. So let me let, let me try to boil it down to to, to go one ahead. Da-
1: boil away. Okay. Because I'm not trying to predict how long every coach is going to be at these schools. Oh well, no, that's a, that that to me that's a factor. Why would that not be a factor? Like, do you think Patrick Ewing is going to be at Georgetown in five years? And if he's not, might that impact where you put Georgetown in your rankings?
0: I okay. Let's let's go through this real quick. Coach will be at current school five years from today.
1: Okay, do it.
0: Jay Wright at Villanova. Yes, I agree. Greg McDermott at Creighton. Yes, I agree. Danny Hurley at UConn. Yes. I think I agree. Kevin, uh, Kevin Willard at Seton Hall. Yes. I agree. And uh, Although I could see him getting a bigger job.
1: I could I, see him. I, c- be- I could too. I hesitate, but I lean more. Yes, than no.
0: Yeah. I, I think, I don't think he'll be fired in the next five years. I think okay. he'll, he'll be there unless he takes a bigger job. Ed Cooley at Providence. Yes. I agree. Um, uh, Wojo at Marquette. No. Where do you think he's going? Fired or bigger job? Not, just, if you say no, you have to answer fired or bigger job.
1: Well, first of all, do you agree with me? Yes or no? I, I think he's either there or at Duke. I think that, and I, here come the Marquette fans. Listen, he's done a good job. If you're making, uh, I don't think he's going to be good enough at Marquette to validate him getting to Duke personally. And I'm not convinced Mike Krzyzewski is going to be done in five years. So all these dudes are not going to be coaching there. It's not going to happen. I will say fired. Can't be scared on this podcast, GP.
0: I got more confidence in Wojo than that. Okay. Travis still at Xavier. Yes. I think so, too. Everybody wins at Xavier. Like, Travis, going. everybody wins at Xavier. Um, Lavelle Jordan at Butler. Yes I say yes too But you're exactly right All these guys can't survive
1: You're right But and I, I, again I'm not going to I'm not I'm trying to Honestly project out Where I think they're going to be yes. I, yes I think that all these coaches Will still be there in five years
0: Golden Gate Mike St. John's No I say no as well
1: Okay Is he, is he getting fired Or is he getting a better job
0: I think fired I think Same. this is his Same. last good job Same
1: Yeah um, Pat Trick Ewing at Georgetown No
0: I, th- I think I think no, too. And I, no, yeah, I mean, but I don't think
1: thing. they would ever fire him. He would just step down.
0: He would do what Chris did at St. John's. Yeah. He would just step down. Yep. And then Dave Lido at DePaul.
1: We both agree, no. Yes, yeah, just. Tough. Although he's, I mean, he's, he's doing. He's in Oliver Purnell's legacy. I mean, he the man is continuing on. So good job, Dave.
0: Okay, so we rocked through that. All right. So here's the here's the way we'll pose the question since it's going to be eleven teams, uh-huh. uh, true round robin, yep. twenty league games. We will have a uh, you know a balanced schedule for in theory for the next five years, and everybody will finish where they finish. You know, tied for first, third alone in third, tied for sixth. If you average where they finish in the biggest standings over the next five seasons, five years from now, what will be the order?
1: Yeah. Okay, I got my list. That, OK, we have to have the same number one Villanova, obviously. I mean, Villanova.
0: might. This is crazy. Villanova's got a real chance to win a third national title
1: in a six year span this season. They do. Please let us have a season. Yes, they do have a really good shot there. OK, both.
0: Oh, I should point that out. We're not playing college basketball this season. <laughs>
1: all right. <laughs> Save it. We got all summer. Save it. <laughs> I know. All right. Um, number two. Who you got?
0: I, everything after number one – I'll because, like, you texted me this this afternoon, and I took, you know, maybe two minutes and looked through it. And I, I'll be honest. Everything after number one, I struggled with. Oh, boy. I, yeah, I, that's sad. I, but I, I went with Creighton. I went Creighton number two.
1: Okay. I will, I will save my Creighton reasoning when I get to Creighton. I have UConn at number two. I have UConn at number two because – um, ugh, the player escapes me right now. UConn fans, you're going to know it. Hurley's bringing in uh, a potential one-and-done guy and for sure a two-and-through guy um, next season. I think that UConn is going to be able to get back to recruiting at least one player just about every year who is going to get drafted in the NBA minimally. And I think when you look at that compared to the rest of the league, Dan Hurley back with the Big East – I am going to give him the benefit of the doubt here, and I do think that Yukon will be just a level below, but a firm number two in the big east five years from now.
0: Okay, well I've got I've got UConn number three, so I'm right okay. there with you.
1: Okay, you've got and UConn I consider, three. I, got two. I
0: considered number two. Like I struggled between Creighton and UConn, but okay, why, do you point, go Cre-
1: why do you go Creighton two?
0: Okay, well, first off, they finished top three in the league each of the past four seasons. All right. So they've been consistently good and their preseason top ten team going into next season, um, at least according to me, are right there. So, you know, twenty percent of our range of seasons is is this upcoming season, and they're going to be good this upcoming season. So that's off to a great start. So, I just think they've been reliable. They they're set up to be good in the immediate future. Uh, Creighton at number two, okay. but yeah, but I went I went UConn at number three because. I mean, it's, it's clear. Like, UConn in the Big East is different than UConn in the American. I'm a big believer in Danny Hurley. I, I just think I, – I can't imagine him not getting that program back to where um, it is nationally relevant, and I think it happens pretty soon. So I don't know where you've got Creighton, but my – you know, my, Your top two are both in my top three, okay. one Villanova, two Creighton, three UConn.
1: I shall reveal Creighton in due time, but it is not my number three school. My number three is Seton Hall, and I juggled three programs for the number three spot. I think Seton Hall has the uh, the safest projection to be third of any of the schools I considered. I, when you asked about Willard, I do think that he is uh, safe, and yes, if he's not there, it's going to be because he gets a, a bigger job. But they're in the midst of, you know, in terms of year over year over year over year from a five-year stretch, like this is the best run in Seton Hall history, and I think that he's going to be able to maintain that. And while they might not have uh, an absolute program-changing player like Miles Powell in the next three or four years, maybe, maybe not, I do think that ultimately when we look back in 2025, we're going to say the Pirates have been a top three program in the Big East.
0: They've been top three each of the past five seasons, and so if you had UConn removed from this, I would have them in my top three going forward for that reason. I've got Seton Hall number four, so like we're, I'm, you know, we're on the same page for the most part. My top four: Villanova, Creighton, UConn, uh, Seton Hall. Your top four: Villanova, UConn,
1: Seton Hall, and what? Ed Cooley's Providence Flyers, Uh, Flyers, (laughs) Friars, (laughs) Providence Flyers. (laughs) They should be. Yes. Uh I guess they should be <laughs> the Providence Flyers. Oh boy. Um Cooley has similarly done things in his tenure at Providence that have never been done before. Uh they made the most tournament runs in in a in a five year span ever, uh, under under Cooley. Uh he's getting close. I did a piece earlier this spring. About which Power Conference schools currently employ their best coach ever? Cooley's not there yet, but in two seasons he'll basically be there. He needs like one more NCAA tournament appearance, uh, a few more wins uh, to match up with a couple of previous uh, really good coaches. Obviously, Dave Gavitt being one of them. But regardless, I do think that the Friars will be there, and I. I can envision a scenario in which UConn and Providence, because you know they're relatively close state's border, uh, Dan is obviously familiar with that state, being a former URI coach, get not only a nice rivalry going, but um, a really nice recruiting rivalry, uh, all the more so in the Big East there. So um, that's probably a little bit of a gamble. I'm, I'm curious to see where you end up putting PC. But they are my fourth. And then Creighton is my fifth. And the reason why I have Creighton fifth is I had to take into account – the potential that Creighton is hit significantly by the NCAA whenever that case comes down, and if it is as drastic as a postseason ban, which I don't know if it will be or won't, but Creighton's not going to get out of this unscathed. I mean, it. it in short, I was in the courtroom when I saw former Creighton assistant coach, probably whose behavior, even if it was allegedly tongue in cheek, was as bad of a look as any assistant coach that was caught in the Cosmopolitan uh, when the FBI was doing the sting uh, operation on Christian Dawkins. And so I, I think that Creighton's going to wind up getting getting hit here. And so I think that's going to set them back a little bit. Might set them back a year. And so that's why I knocked him down. If that wasn't on the table, uh, truthfully, I'd probably have Creighton fourth behind Seton Hall.
0: That's a fair point. I didn't consider future NCAA sanctions when putting Creighton at number two, but obviously um, they could face some. And that would in, in theory have an impact but to answer your question about where do I have Providence I have them number five so our top five schools are the exact five schools we just have them in slightly different orders but so, so that at least suggests in our eye on college basketball minds there's a clear divide between the top half and the bottom half and the top half it's Villanova, Creighton, Yukon, Seton Hall and Providence who do you have number six?
1: Six, seven, eight was a huge juggle I went with Butler um, it has maintained its status for the most part in the biggie since it, uh, since it went there uh, under Brad Stevens' stewardship. Side note, we're coming up on fr- uh, Friday, July 3rd this week. It'll be the first July 3rd to fall on a Friday since Brad Stevens took the Celtics job at 4 p.m. on Friday, July 3rd, 2013 or whatever, and that was an all You talk about Amani Bates being an inconvenient news dump. Brad Stevens the king of inconvenient news dumps. So let's just brace ourselves here for Friday, GP. Hopefully we can uh, dodge anything significant. Um, Butler has been pretty solid since, even with um, coaching miscue with Brandon Miller. It has still maintained uh, a steady course with Holtman and now Laval Jordan. If you wanted to make the case for Butler's highest fifth or as low as ninth, I think you could sell that case. Uh, But I got BU sixth.
0: I think we're going to have the same six, seven, and eight—not necessarily in the same order, but the same three schools. And I like you; I, I could have put them in any order. I, I don't—I don't think there's m- much evidence to suggest one is going to be tangibly better or worse than the other. Um, but I-, I put them in this order. I've got Marquette sixth, and then I've got Butler seven. So I went Marquette six and then the school you had six, Butler. I've got them right behind Marquette at number seven.
1: Well, let me ask you this: so let's let's extrapolate what you've done here you're saying that Marquette on on average being the sixth best team in the Big East for the next 5 years and that would equate i think that would equate fairly to three tournaments in 5 years probably maybe four and five maybe um you think that would be enough to get Wojo the job at Duke
0: I'm not sure I just know that or, or, I don't know I shouldn't say I know but my understanding has been that if he were in a position to be the guy, Kay would prefer for him to be the guy. That 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 if you were to ask Mike Šišeski privately, and and by the way, like uh, this is a conversation I probably had a, a year ago, 2 years ago with people. But at the time I remember the consensus in coaching circles was that if Wojo is if Wojo can be reasonably hired at Duke, When Kay leaves, that is what Kay would prefer. Hmm. That's the guy he'd like to hand the program to. But because I don't think there's any doubt Kay's going to make the next hire. Like he's going to sign off on it. Of course. As as he should. Um, But like, what if Bobby is just killing it at Arizona State? I mean, does that former Blue Devil just, you, you go, you got a coaching star who played here. Like, we can't not hire that guy. What if Jeff Capel is killing it at Pitt? You know, do you do you go hold on? Why 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 are we not hiring Jeff Capel? So, um, I'm not sure if finishing on average sixth in the Big East over the next five years is enough to get you the Duke job. But think of it like this: some of these things just happen based on what just happened. So, like, let's say he finishes eighth one year, sixth one year, and then he wins the league, goes to the Elite Eight, and the Duke job opens. Well, now go get the job, right? And I mean, if you know, if they want you to have it, so some of it will just be timing. Um, but I guess I bottom line it this way: I'm not sure finishing on average sixth that Marquette pushes you to the front of the guy of the list of guys who should be the next Duke coach. But I do think finishing sixth on average is probably three or four NCAA tournaments in a five year period, and that's enough to keep the job at Marquette.
1: Fair enough. Um, all right, so you had uh, Marquette sixth. Butler seven. I have Butler six. Xavier seven. Marquette eight. I put Xavier seven with Travis Steele. He's gone through two seasons with the Musketeers. Nineteen wins both seasons. Must obviously note that this past season he was uh, denied a chance to get to twenty twenty one or even more than that because we did not have a completion to the end of the season. But Xavier has been as reliable of a program outside of what would be considered you know, a top 10, top 15 program as any in America for three decades. I mean, the, the coaches that have come through Xavier and gone on to bigger jobs, it's just one after another after another, as, as sturdy and steady of a program as, as you can have. So Travis hasn't lit the world on fire through two seasons, but he hasn't been a letdown either. So I slotted them at seven. And then I put Marquette at eight. I think the tightest jumble in this entire list to me is six, seven, eight. 8' Butler, Xavier, Marquette for me. Um, you could easily have one year where Marquette is five spots ahead of Butler, and then the next year, Butler will be four spots ahead of Marquette or, or Xavier overall. But yeah, give me X Men at seven, and then Marquette at eight. And I just, I expect Dwayne Killings, uh, who you spoke with through your story, I expect him to get a head coaching job uh, in the next two to three years max. He, Wojo just lost uh, Stan Johnson to the LMU job. He lost Brett Nelson to a head coaching job already with Holy Cross. That is part of why I put Marquette a little bit further down. Steve's done a great job hiring a good staff, but as any head coach that's cut his teeth and been a veteran, the game will explain to you. One of the biggest keys to maintaining consistency is, you know, as much as it might seem like you being the head coach is so much, it is, but you have to get the right guys on staff. And when you lose them to other jobs, it can be a real challenge. Challenge. And so I just, I anticipate maybe Marquette facing up against that challenge in the next two to three years.
0: So our six, seven, and eight schools were the same schools, just in a different order. I've got Marquette, Butler, Marquette six, Butler seven, eight Xavier, and that means our nine, ten, and eleven are the same schools as well, perhaps in different orders. I don't know what you got nine. I got St. John's. I, I got. I had to get Golden Gate, Mike, at number
1: nine. We. So I think for the first time with Nova at one, this is where we land with the same. I. I almost think I put St. John's at nine for you and Golden Gate, Mike, too. This might have been a sympathy play. I don't know. But um, listen, I'd love to—I truly would love to be wrong about these projections. And you know what? We're probably going to be wrong. But uh, I think some of our our guesses here are informed by how these programs have performed, broadly speaking, since the Big East uh, reformed itself seven years ago. But I haven't seen it from St. John's, and there is still skepticism over whether— uh, Golden Gate Mike was the best hire for that program in that spot. So, yeah, I put him at nine, and I don't expect five years from now he will be the head coach there. Uh, ten, I went with Georgetown. As did I. And I did – I mean, I had Georgetown, then St. John, St. John's, Georgetown. It's They're basically on equal footing. Uh, Patrick Ewing – Uh, who recently did an interview with uh, John Fanta of the Big East and uh, spoke about recovering from COVID. Happy to see that he is doing well. But from a roster and program situation, Georgetown should be the worst team in the league next season, and Patrick is going to have to figure out a way to keep up with recruiting and overcome a lot at this point. It's not where they thought it would be. And it's because of that, I just see the issues compounding and Georgetown not getting out of this hole that it's in until it makes makes its next hire. And barring absolute disaster, I think Patrick Ewing is rightfully committed to doing the job at least three more seasons. And because of that, I just think they're going to be consistently trying to catch up. And that's why I've got him 10th.
0: Yeah, like. Uh, on paper, they should be the worst team in the league this season. Then who knows what that means going forward? Which stinks, by the way. Like Georgetown needs to be good. It, it, you know, Georgetown is a big brand in college basketball, and I, I was really like the 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 eight year old version of me was like pumped up about the idea of Patrick Ewing leading Georgetown back to prominence because I was a based on where I lived, I was a college basketball fan well before I was an NBA fan and Patrick Ewing was like this larger than life figure like from my childhood like one of my earliest memories of being a college basketball fan was the 1984-85 season and the thought was that at least the thought here was that Keith Lee in Memphis State was going to play Patrick Ewing in Georgetown in you know in the national championship game i mean they 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 were both in the final 4 um, you know, they were on opposite sides of the bracket. Keith, you know, Patrick is obviously an icon. Really only people in Memphis know Keith Lee, but like go to go, go Google Keith Lee. I mean, multi, I don't want to, I don't want to be wrong about it. So let me make sure I'm right. But like, um, I, I believe a two time consensus first team, all American in 1983 and 85, like that's almost unheard of in modern basketball um but he was an absolute monster of a college basketball player and it was supposed to be Patrick Ewing against Keith Lee for the national title then of course Villanova upsets Memphis in the fi- in the final 4 then upsets Georgetown to win the national championship but like my one of my earliest memories of sports is Keith I mean it is a uh, Patrick Ewing and the idea that he was now going to be a college basketball coach back at Georgetown and able to you know maybe bring that program back to national relevance like I was fired up for that and it just Some of it's bad luck. Some of it's other things. It just hasn't happened, and now I don't know that there's a lot of signs that it's going to happen, which is you know uh, uh, not great for the league and not great for college basketball in general.
1: Right. Then we both have DePaul at eleven, and that's purely I got to see it. You know, you can make an argument that DePaul is even more out of place in the Big East than UConn was in the American Athletic Conference. Um, It's going to stick there. It's going to be a member, but. It is just continually—I mean, there have been brief flashes here and there. We had some last season, actually, with Georgetown and DePaul, uh, coincidentally enough. But until I can see this program have any kind of consistency, it's just an, it's an automatic bottom-of-the-barrel, bottom-of-the-league slotting. And sure, if Chicago basketball could get back on the map and you could see uh, DePaul vying for NCAA tournaments in consecutive years— Listen, I'm all for variety. It makes for more interesting stories, and 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 I welcome that. But it just DePaul hasn't shown it. it. You know, it it just is what it is. So to no shock, we have the same team at the top of our list and at the bottom, and then we also agree on nine and ten. I'll
0: never forget that early, the late November, early December, when we had a you undefeated DePaul knocking off Texas Tech.
1: You're gonna forget it, but yeah.
0: They started nine and zero with a win over Texas Tech. I think I launched them into the top twenty-five and one. Then
1: they went three they went three and fifteen in the Big East.
0: What in the world?
1: We definitely led the podcast with DePaul, and I, I, there was a podcast that the title was like, "Yes, this is DePaul. Your time is your time has come." So so fleeting, but so so there it goes. But so the, yeah, so there you have it, one through eleven, and um, I'll. I'll I'll be interested to see how UConn takes this and goes and if we can have a season next season to uh, to see any sort of immediate returns on that. But that's a podcast for another time. I
0: think every podcast is a podcast for another time.
1: Yeah. You want to you wanna get back to your vacation, man? Yeah, I was so lo- – I woke up really early this morning for some reason, like at 4.30. Oh. And, I know. No, no, no. And I- My one-year-old has gotten – I'll be quick with this, but he has gotten randomly – the past week and a half after sleeping till like 6:30 6:45 like clockwork has been getting up and crying at like 5:30 in the morning this morning 4:42 yeah. we let him i was like you know my wife and i are, are half talking to each other half awake we're i was like we're letting him go we let him go till 5:45 an hour straight crying he did not bail he refused to go back to sleep till we picked him up, brought him into the bed. So I'm just I'm gassed right now, but it's just coincidental and funny that you mentioned that because oh, oh my oh it was not a, it was not a good scene this morning. Go ahead. Well,
0: that's the thing. Like I'm on I'm on I'm only on vacation from CBS, not from radio. So I'm doing radio this afternoon. But I was like, all right, I'm up at 4:30. This sucks, but um, you know I'll just get an afternoon nap in, no problem. And no, now, here I, now here now it's a problem that's <laughs> a real problem so I'm sleepy but uh, I was good to talk to you
1: yeah I'm a little sleepy too but I thought we pulled it off uh, pulled it off nicely barring any other major stuff hopefully this is our only pod of the week and then we'll be back uh, we'll be back next week with whatever news uh, whatever news may come but yes keep an eye out re- uh, listeners UConn, peace Wednesday. And then I think again, if unless the news bumps it back, I might have something related to the NBA draft on Friday, and we'll have some draft stuff podcasts coming for you in July as we uh, get closer and closer, theoretically, to that resuming.
0: Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry Mf and Teagle, legend. Shouts to Larnell. Please go subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast wherever you subscribe to podcasts including Apple Podcasts it's really nice when you guys do that it helps us and it also helps you make sure you get the latest episode right in your phone just as soon as we publish it so please go do that and uh, we'll talk to you again real soon Till then take care